Good to see you again. You know, I am I am so so thrilled um, for many. First of all, uh, just to be here with all you guys, but also finding out. You know, I've got a um, one of my daughters is studying um, in college over in England, and I'm so thrilled to understand now. I don't have to worry about flying over there in the future. I can actually take a train from New York to London now, um, and so um, that's exciting. You know. If you didn't get that, you can ask somebody. Some people at the first service didn't get that. I just I couldn't resist that. But uh, now, don't we live in a crazy world? Is this world nuts or what? The stuff we're hearing. Uh, <laughs> what we're finding out is every single day we are hearing things, we are seeing things, we're experiencing things we thought we would never see, never hear, and it's almost like, is this April Fools? Is the you know really? I mean seriously, you and you wonder how in the world can we live sanely in this ridiculously crazy world we're living in? Well, there is a way we can do that, and that is follow the instructions that God has given to us in his book, to follow the guidebook, to follow what he has told us to do. And if we do something like that, we can live righteously, sanely, correctly in the world in which we live now. And so to do so, this morning we're going to go to God's word and to the guidebook there and find some principles that he has laid out. So we're going to start with the very first chapter in the book of Proverbs. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn there? And we're going to lay the foundation here of the proverbial wisdom that God gives to his people. Proverbs chapter 1. It, um, if, you have, uh, the book, if you find the book of Psalms, you turn right towards the New Testament. That should be the next one there. Book of Proverbs, the first chapter. We're going to read the first seven verses here. And this will kind of set the stage for what we want to talk about. Okay. The Proverbs of Solomon the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel to understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. All right, that was from the New King James Version. And by the way, when we read in this wisdom literature about the man of God, it's generic for the person. It's not like an adult male. It's, it's just the person here it's referring to. Now, one of the things I learned a long time ago I was when I was living in Australia. I used to buy different English, and I still do different English translations of, of scripture. And I bought a, one called the CEV, the Contemporary English Version. I learned something I didn't know. It was written to be read and to be listened to rather than be read publicly. In other words, it was written so people could hear it being read because more people each year hear the Bible being read than actually read it for themselves. I didn't know that. But I want you to listen to how it translates these, these verses. I think it's really wonderful. Listen to this. These are the Proverbs of King Solomon of Israel, the son of David. Proverbs will teach you wisdom and self-control, and how to understand sayings with deep meanings. You will learn what is right, honest, and fair. From these, an ordinary person can learn to be smart, and young people can gain knowledge and good sense. 
If you are already wise, you will become even wiser. And if you are smart, you will learn to understand proverbs and sayings, as well as words of wisdom and all kinds of riddles. Respect and obey the Lord. This is the beginning of knowledge. Only a fool rejects wisdom and good advice. All right, the book of Proverbs is this wonderful collection of wise sayings and instructions for living a useful and a godly life. The collection forms a larger part of what we call wisdom literature in the scriptures. And these are literature literature that gives instructions how to live uh, and face the difficulties of life that we all face. Now, part of it's called speculative wisdom, and that's particularly the book of Ecclesiastes and the book of Job. How do they do it? Well, they use these lengthy monologues and dialogues to investigate the meaning of life, the problem of good and evil, as well as the relationships between God and people. On the other hand, the book of Proverbs is different. Proverbs, their proverbial wisdom, is these little short, pithy statements, uh, sayings. It translates the Hebrew word, which comes from a word meaning to be like or to be compared with. So a proverb, then, is a statement that makes a comparison or summarizes some type of common experience. All right. The book of Proverbs, there are several distinct characteristics that we find in these, these sayings. First of all, they are personal. Now, let's understand this. This book deals with you and I and the Lord. They're personal sayings. They deal with individuals. There's nothing about a nation. There's nothing about uh, uh, history or, or anything like that or prophetic, as it were. It's dealing with, uh, you know, learning and uh, dealing with the world that we live in, but focusing on individuals. So they set forth various qualities that are needed by people who are seeking to live this type of godly life, a life that pleases the Lord, and also warning about the dangers that are to be avoided. So here's the bottom line. This is a very personal book. It is an instruction manual on how to live, how you and I should live here to please God. Now, what's also interesting about this, and this is crucial, the teachings in the book of Proverbs, this proverbial wisdom, is universal in scope. In other words, they are applicable to all people at any period of human history. Humans all face the same types of problems, the same issues. So these Proverbs have not gone out of style. They are here for us today. One of the things I learned when I started traveling and going to not only across the United States but various countries of the world Everyone's got the same issues, the same problems, the same needs, the same desires, the same wants. All of humanity can identify with this. Remember, the Lord said his word is forever settled in the heavens. And even though the book of Proverbs was written some 3,000 years ago, its wisdom is still viable and valuable for us today. So we do not want to say, well, that was how it was in the past. No, this is how it is right now, so we need to turn to it. Now, something else about the Proverbs, another characteristic, they're based on respect for authority, respect for authority, traditional values and teachings, and wisdom of the mature teachers. In other words, when you read the book of Proverbs, there are certain things that are taught. You respect authority, you respect traditional values, you respect the traditional teachings and the mature teachers. Now, needless to say, this is something that is tremendously lost in today's society. It's almost just the opposite. We don't believe in traditional values, we don't listen to mature teachers, we don't listen to authority, and and that's why the world is in the mess that it's in. So something that is lost in today's world is something that the Bible brings us to us front and center. Now, fourth, 
These proverbs are immensely practical, give sound advice for developing personal qualities in our own life that are necessary to achieve success, that's success from God's point of view, and to avoid failure and shame. Now, they warn also, too, that though virtue is warned, you know, is uh, rewarded with prosperity, uh, sin can lead to poverty and disaster. So these are the distinct characteristics of these different proverbs we have in this book. Now, need, don't think, though, it's some type of, you know, just like a uh, Ben Franklin's Poor Richard's Almanac, a bunch of nice sayings, a bunch of wisdom that's there. It's not a secular book. It's wrong if we think that, to conclude that. Its teachings are solidly based upon the fear of the Lord. Well, we just read that in verse 7. And I love what the, how the New English translation puts it. It says, fearing the Lord is the beginning of moral knowledge. Moral knowledge. In other words, fearing the Lord, respecting the Lord, teaches us how to, you know, live morally. And on the other hand, fools despise wisdom and instruction. So what we find in this wonderful book of Proverbs is fear of the Lord is the evidence for faith, and the wise teacher is the one who encourages people to trust in the Lord. Now, you've probably heard if there's one passage in Proverbs that kind of sums it up. It's Proverbs 3, 5 to 7. When anybody asks you, to, you know, how do we know the will of God? How do we know what God wants for our life? Usually we have them turn to this passage. And you've heard it before, probably. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. You know, it's real simple. It's very, you know, you trust the Lord with everything you got. You don't rely on your own thoughts, your own understandings. You acknowledge him in every way that you have. And he promises to direct our paths. That's a promise of God. And I love this. Don't be wise in our own estimation. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. That's some very, very good wisdom. So our confidence, according to Proverbs 22, 19, may be in the Lord. And the writer says, I'm making them known to you even today. So these sayings, these proverbial truths are things that will help us live a godly Christian life, will live a sensible life in a very unsensible world right now that we live in that's not making sense whatsoever. So to sum up, God has given believers this book of practical wisdom for us to deal with personal situations as we live out our lives. It's based on respect for the Lord, and the emphasis is putting our faith in him. Now, I had a bunch of people tell me after first service how much Proverbs has helped them. Same type of thing I'm sharing with you today, how wonderful their eyes were open to, you know, their daily living, how to deal with certain issues, simply because the Bible contains, you know, wisdom on, on how to deal with these things. And so this is what got me into this study is, is this. I, you know, I, I speak periodically here uh, to you folks. I can't, obviously, I can't do a series because it's, you know, one shot here, one shot there. And recently, if you've been here when I've talked, it's been mostly through the Old Testament, because I love to talk about some of the Old Testament stories. We've gone through Jonah, we've gone through Abraham, if you know, the story of Joseph, uh, Daniel, as it were, and some others. And I was reading this book on preaching through the Old Testament, and it came, and and the author was talking about how important it is to preach through Proverbs, and the illustration he gave is the one we're going to look at specifically today, the 11th chapter of the book of Proverbs. So I want you to turn there, please, to Proverbs chapter 11, and we're going to see how some of this practical wisdom will help us live our lives in a way that is pleasing to God. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1. 
And, you know, literally we could go anywhere in the book of Proverbs, but there's, there's these three Proverbs, first three verses, are immensely practical here. And um, I think, well, obviously it'll speak for itself as we get there. So Proverbs 11.1 1 says this, The Lord abhors dishonest scales, but accurate weights are his delight. Or to put it another way, dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. All right, here's the first thing we find. God's word provides minute details on how you and I should behave. The eyes of the Lord note what we do every single day, our everyday dealings in life. He either acknowledges them and they're a delight to him, or he abhors them. And here's this first illustration of something he delights in and something that's an abomination to him. Now, this goes back to uh, the time of uh, before there was coinage. Now, fascinatingly enough, we, this generation, understands cash and understands coinage. In the ancient world, they didn't have that. They just had silver. That was sort of, you know, that was weighed out, and that's how they did business. Interestingly, we've uh, mentioned before Tim Cook, the uh, leader now of Apple, said the next generation of kids will not know what cash is, will not know what coinage is, because all transactions will be done electronically, will be done digitally. Well, in the ancient world, they didn't even have the coinage there at the time. And so these balance scales, all right? And so here's what happened. Now, believe it or not, there were some crooked merchants in the ancient world. And so what happened was... Uh, these merchants used two sets of stone weights when weighing the merchandise, all right? Uh, when they were selling something, they put the lighter s- stone on the scale, uh, meaning a lesser qual- a quantity was sold for the stated price. But when they were buying something, they put the heavier one on the scale so they could get more for the same price. In other words, they were cheating. And the Bible consistently talks about balance scales must be up. The person that does this must be fair, must be upright. And so this type of behavior was actually called an abomination to the Lord if you had balance scales that were dishonest. That's what the Lord thought of this. Uh, And on the other hand, a just weight or a perfect stone is what pleased the Lord. And so it was an honest, accurate measurement. So this is what the Lord desires. So here's what he's telling us. Honesty in business is something that pleases the Lord. And here's the contrast between which the Lord thinks is an abomination and which he delights in. And it's illustrated with these balance scales. The people that would cheat their customers is something that God hated. In fact, scriptures talk about it a number of times about the dishonest uh, dealings with the balance scales. And it condemns this. And so what do we learn from this? Now, this is something a lot of people probably don't ever think of. But this proverb demonstrates that God is profoundly concerned about our ethics as we do business. He's profoundly concerned. A false balance when measuring or weighing items for purchasing is cheating, pure and simple. Such unjust business practices are called an abomination in God's eyes. Now, let's understand this. Dishonesty in business is serious. The same word here is used of dishonesty in business as used for other abominations, sexual immorality, idolatry, occult practices, child sacrifice, and lying. In other words, they're all thrown in this one list of things that are abominable to the Lord. And so we need to take a step back when we may think about cheating or doing something uh, 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 wrong in business, purposely doing that. 
Because it's, we think, well, that's not a major sin. You know, look, uh, you know, I'm going to cheat on my tax a little bit. The government, you know, they've got enough of my money as it is or whatever. Or this person here, I'm giving a good deal as it is. A few extra bucks here uh, isn't going to hurt. Well, the Bible says God abhors. He hates practices like this. On the other hand, he delights in honest business practices and a just weight. Now, there's a great saying I copied here from one of the commentators. I love what he said. He says, the wise know that the Lord's favor is more important than a quick buck. The wise know that the Lord's favor is more important than a quick buck. I like it. Well, why is that? Well, dishonesty can ruin reputations and relationships. It's just not worth it. It's a terrible witness. How many times over the years I've heard people, when you try and witness to them about the Lord, well, I've met Christians, and they're some of the most crooked people in business. Now, having said that, I've heard that many times, and oftentimes someone claimed to be a Christian they were not or had gone to church. or some, In other words, they weren't a Bible-believing Christian, but this was the, the idea. Sometimes they were, unfortunately. They were people, members in good standing with the body of Christ, but they didn't feel any problem cheating people. And an unbeliever would say, you know, if that's the Jesus you believe in, that, that's your ethics, I don't want any part of it. So we've seen that. We've also seen it ruin relationships. Uh, you know, uh, people have been uh, separated from one another, relationships, as it were, estranged from um, both friends and relatives. So it's just not worth it, uh, particularly, you know, if you've been on the receiving end of something like that. Many of us have. Uh, I was once introduced in Australia by uh, this, this, this front of a bunch of uh, high school and college teachers. I had this CD out that was... Um, I had like 14,000 pages of uh, questions and answers, and I was selling it for, you know, I was going to give it away, and the guy wanted to get five bucks out of the people there. And he said, he says, now, I don't know how, on the one hand, I don't know how to tell you how many great things are on this CD, but i got to tell you this, Don is the world's worst businessman. All right, well, I will confess I'm not very good at this, but I've always, when I've done business with people, one thing I've, I've prided myself on is at least I'm honest, you know, I'll tell the truth. And to me, being dishonest in business, being dishonest is just never something that ever crossed my mind, even as an unbeliever, because I was raised, you know, you know, you tell the truth and you deal honestly with people. And I wish everyone would have treated me the same. Now, most people have, but there have been a few that haven't. But what happens when that takes place? You're estranged from them. You know, you don't want to deal with them again. And it's sad. And it's tremendously sad when people have lost, you know, you hear the stories. People have lost their life savings and fortunes because someone has a tale or a story to tell them. And it's an abject out-and-out lie. Well, Christians should never be involved in anything remotely concerned with that and dealing with business. So the first proverb we look at is um, having to do with business, very practical, that we're to be honest and ethical. Now that brings us to our second proverb, and now we've got the subject of pride. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Or putting it another way, when pride comes, then comes shame, but with the humble is wisdom. Now, it's real interesting, this Hebrew word translated pride, it has the same um, root as a boiling pot that boils over. In other words, the, bo- the water boils over the pot and, and everything comes out the sides. 
In other words, it's overstepping its bounds. You know, the pots to hold everything in and a certain area to contain it. But pride is like that. It oversteps its bounds. It is basically insubordination. It's trying to be, it's being something it's not meant to be. And so uh, pride is something that God does not look upon favorably. In fact, since you're well taught here, you would know the answer to this. But oftentimes you talk to Christians and say, okay, God hates sin. We know that. What is the sin that he says he hates the most? And the answer, of course, is found in this wonderful book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 and 17. It says there are six things that the Lord hates. Seven things are an abomination to him. What is numero uno? What's at the top of the list? It's pride. God hates pride more than anything else. Why is that? Because pride... In, in essence, is saying that I am somebody I'm not. I am much better than I am, and it's a wrong evaluation of ourselves, and it's caused no little problems in the universe. For example, we read in the 14th chapter of Isaiah, the 28th chapter of Ezekiel, about this created being, supernatural being, called an anointed cherub. And sometime long ago, before this world was even founded, this being was lifted up with pride. According to Ezekiel 28, five times he said, I will do that. I will do this. I will be like the Most High. And basically what this being did, he brought a different will into the universe. Because before that time there was only one will, and that was to do God's will. Well, this person who had choice decided to bring his own will in, and he decided to, uh, you know, to lift himself up with pride and think he was something he was not. And this personage who became the adversary, which means Satan or the devil, the slander, he rebelled against God, took a number of angels with him. They're kind of like the worker bees, the lower type of God's creation that was there. And about a third of them with him in the rebellion, initial rebellion against God. So sin entered the universe because of an act of pride by a created being. That's why God hates it. But further than this, in the Garden of Eden, it was the sin of pride that brought sin into our world. The book of Genesis, the third chapter, the fifth verse, we're told that the serpent said to Eve, uh, for God knows when you eat of this tree, your eyes are going to be open. You're going to be like divine beings. You're, no, you're going to know the difference between good and evil. And Eve looked at the fruit and she was lifted up with pride. The pride of life got to her and she ate the fruit. Adam did the same thing and sin entered into our world. So pride brought sin into the universe. Pride brought sin into our world. God hates pride, the proud, the arrogant there. You know, as Christians, and there's a big difference between being confident and being arrogant, being proud and being assured in what you believe. As a Christian, as a person who believes in Jesus, we ought to be a very confident group of people. Not a proud group, not an arrogant, but confident. You know, when I speak, I want to always speak with confidence because the God I believe in, the God I proclaim, is a God who exists, and we can confidently proclaim it. Not arrogantly, but confidently. But unfortunately, people overstep the bounds. They, You know, there's arrogance, there's pride, and there's this sort of thing. And this is not what's honoring God. This is not godly whatsoever. Because, you see, pride is something that's still in the fallen nature of each and every one of us. Whether we want to admit it or not, we all have it there. And uh, Jesus mentioned this in the seventh chapter of the Gospel of Mark, the 22nd verse, when he's talking about what defiles a person. Remember, he goes through his whole list, and he says, from within, out of the human heart come all these sins. And he lists a number of sins, like evil ideas, theft, murder, etc., etc., greed. But you know what he ends with? <laughs> he ends with the, uh, the idea of pride. 
pride is something that is in the heart of each and every one of us, trying to be something we're not, thinking we're better than we are, and uh, somehow, you know, indicating to the world that we are, you know, a step above everybody else or the such like. Now, what's interesting about this proverb, do you notice what it said about pride? It's, it said, with pride, what comes after that or with it? Shame. People who are proud will eventually get shamed or disgraced. It affirms it follows pride. doesn't say how, but it'll happen. The proud are always being brought down or will be brought down. So no matter who you are, you can shame yourself. You can be the richest person of the wor- in the world, and you can make an abject fool out of yourself and shame yourself and because of pride or arrogance. And this is what the Bible warns us. But God shames these people because why? They don't know their limits and because they refuse to stand on the low ground, not the high ground, the low ground that he's placed them on. Now, what's interesting to me, this also refers to our belief system, our belief system. And one commentator said, such is the folly of pride is no greater proof of proud folly than only believing what we understand. We only believe what we understand. In other words, I don't see God. I'm not going to believe in him because I don't understand. I don't understand how an invisible God can create everything, can speak, and something can come out of nothing. So I'm not going to believe anything unless I understand it. Reminds me of a story Billy Graham once told about a teacher out of like a second grade class, and she's explaining certain things. And she asked the class, and can anybody tell me what electricity is? And one young boy raised his hand and said, Johnny, what is electricity? He says, oh, sorry, teacher, I forgot. She says, well, that's too bad because you're the only person who ever knew. All right. Problem is there's certain things we don't know. We know it works. I mean, you read electricity is the flow of electrons. What's gravity? Try and explain that. We know it is. We know it works. But trying to explain it, we just don't know. Now, when people come to matters of faith, a lot of people say, well, I can't believe the Bible because I don't understand it. Now, uh, there's a quote I had many, many years ago. First book I ever wrote was back in 1980, Answers to Tough Questions. And I had to drag this one out on the mothballs to find it because there was a perfect illustration on that of only believing what you understand. There was a man named Charles Caleb Colton, and he was famous for his short, pithy sayings for his own proverbial wisdom. And I love what he said here. He said, he that will only believe what he can fully comprehend must either have a very long head or a very short creed. In other words, you can't, you can't believe just everything you understand because, you know, there's many things we don't understand. We don't comprehend. We believe it by faith. But here's the great news. The Christian faith is the reasonable faith, an intelligent faith. We don't assassinate our brains by being a Christian. You watch Barry on World News Briefing with Mike every week, giving the latest stories, the accounts that are going on in the world, how it fits last day's Bible prophecy. We see the events lining up exactly as the scriptures have told us would. And we see the remarkable testifying of what God said the world would be like in the last days, and we look around, it's precisely what we see. Even though different authors writing at different times, anywhere from 2,000 to 3,500 years ago, predicting what the world would be like, we see the scenario, the puzzle's all coming together. 
Actually, we did a couple DVDs, some of you may have got a hold of them, in the last few months for his channel on Ancient Mysteries of the Bible Solved, where basically what we did, we went through some of the past things that the Bible talks about that were mysteries that were not understood to be, we didn't know whether they're true or not, they only recorded the Bible, but they're now solved through the study of archaeology, through finding of ancient inscriptions, coins, whatever it might be, to show that these events actually took place. Now, what I tried, I tried to get across in this, how remarkable this is that we find anything from the ancient world that would verify names, dates, places, people, events in the Bible. Someone has estimated, with all the events that happened just in the biblical times, in the biblical area of the world, biblical period, the things that are there, we only have six one-thousandths of one percent of knowledge of what happened in that world. Six one-thousandths of one percent. Now, if that's all we have, it's remarkable anything is shown to verify Scripture. Yes, there are, but there are many, many things that do show us that what we believe in the past of what happened and what we believe about the future fits with what the Scriptures say. So the arrogant people that say, well, I can't believe the Bible. I don't see this God you're talking about. Here's some book that's... 2,000 to 5,000 years old or how much ever. I don't believe in that because it doesn't make sense to me. Well, see, here's the thing. That's that's pride. That's arrogance because once you look at it, once you study it, you're confounded and confronted with the the, um, the truth of it. I was at the... Um, Yesterday we had a, and the day before actually, a, a conference there, a, uh, Occupy Till I Come, Jeff Johnson Church there in Calvary Chapel of Downey, and, uh, you know, different speakers talking about, as you folks just had here, the proximity conference in the last days. And there's a talk, I don't th- I think I may have given it here to you in the past, and I went through, I went through the 38th and 39th chapter of Ezekiel, and there's a talk I give based on that, and I said, it's real simple, I want all you, these are pastors and leaders, I want you guys to give them to your church, Sunday school classes, home Bible studies, midweek. Here it is. You read these chapters, and what do you find? You find the Bible predicting a scenario of what the world would look like, according to Ezekiel, particularly 38.8, in the last days, in the last time. And what do you find? There's at least 10 specific things that the Bible describes the world in the last days, what it's going to look like. And you go down the list. This is what it says that the world's going to be like. And we went down the list for them all. Then we noted something. Every single one of these predictions has been literally fulfilled. The world is exactly like today. Scripture said it would be in the future. This was written 2,550 years ago, and here we are in 2019. It's right there. Now, either the author of Ezekiel is the luckiest guy on earth, he's a great guesser, or maybe there's a God behind all of this, and that, of course, is our point. So, again, you don't have to assassinate your brains to be a Christian. That's the whole point of that. You know, you have to put your mind on the shelf. So Proverbs now repeatedly asserts, too, that the wise person is someone who is also teachable. This is very, very important. And in the book of Proverbs, we see this a number of times. In 1 Timothy 3, 2, there is a verse there that explains the qualifications of those who would be elders or those who would be overseers. And the last word that's used is a little word usually translate translated apt to teach, but the word can also mean teachable. So those of us who are in a position of teaching also need to be teachable, as we all should. How do we become teachable? We look at the book. We look at, uh, for example, the book of Proverbs. Proverbs says in Proverbs 13.1 and 13.10, a wise son accepts his father's discipline, 
but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. With pride comes only contention, but wisdom is with the well-advised. And so if you're going to be a believer in Christ and you want to be a wise person, you, you, you accept discipline, you listen to rebuke, and wisdom is well-advised to not be proud or arrogant. So what a contrast. Humility uh, is basically referring to people who know their place, humble, modest, and the fools and the proud are those who bring dishonor because they're too arrogant, too self-deceived to be taught by those wiser than them. The wise are humble, being self-aware and teachable, and thus they grow in wisdom. The proud could care less. And so, to sum up the first two problems, honesty or dishonesty in business, proud or humble, it's our choice. And finally, the third one we're going to look at, from honesty, humility, to integrity. Look at verse 3. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the unfaithful destroys them. Or the integrity of the upright will guide them, but the perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. Now here you have the contrast between the fate, the destiny of the righteous and the unrighteous. Those that follow the Lord's path, those that do not. And this is the first of several Proverbs we have here in this chapter, verses 3 to 9. They address the fate of what's going to happen to the righteous, those who believe in the Lord, and the wicked, those who have not. Those who are upright, blameless, have integrity that guide the decisions in their life in the path of wisdom. They're honest and without guile. They're honorable people. On the other hand, the crookedness of treacherous twists, of the treacherous twist and perverts the truth, making life's choices that will ultimately destroy them. And we've seen that happen so many times in people's lives. Now, here's something, another word that is not real popular today and it's not really, you know, something that people look for. Uh, personal in their lives, the word integrity. Although the Bible says it's the most valuable guide in every perplexing situation. The single desire to know God, to be a person of integrity, and do what brings light on our path, go according to his will. In the Psalms, the psalmist said, in the 143rd Psalm, the 10th verse, listen to this. He says, teach me to do your will, for you are my God, your spirit is good, lead me in the land of uprightness. That's a great psalm and a great verse. Psalm 143.10. Lead me, Lord, in the land of uprightness. I want to have integrity in my life. I want to be honest and upright with people. I want my yes to be yes and my no to be no. I want to be a person of integrity. You know, uh, there's a different world that many of us grew up in. And I remember in the world that I, I grew up in and when I was taught that when someone gave their word, they meant it. A handshake meant that's the deal, and that's my solemn promise, and I can't go back on it. That was integrity, something we've tremendously lost in the world which we live in today. Uh, people are finding, you know, trying to find ways to rip people off, to take advantage of them, to uh, to hurt them, to to better their own selves at the expense of others. And this is something Scripture tells us we should not do. We should be honest in business. We should be humble people, and we should live with integrity. Our yes is yes, our no is no, and we should be thinking, as Jesus said, not only on our own concerns, but on the concerns of others. Matthew twenty twenty eight, and talking about the coming of the Lord, said, The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. He came for one thing, for others. 
Paul said to the Philippians, don't only look on your own things, but also on the things of others. Now, why do we do that and how do we do it? We do it by living with integrity, honoring the Lord. Uh, one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, 1 Samuel 2.30, the Lord says, Those that honor me, I will honor. You honor him, he will honor you. It's just that simple. If you have that as a life verse, if you have that as one that guides you, then life will be much, much easier for you. So bottom line is this. The book of Proverbs gives us a guidebook, a textbook, as it were, to know how to live like, to function in this life in a way that will honor and glorify the Lord. It's there for us. You follow the instructions, you live life content and happy. Now, it doesn't mean you won't have problems. You will have, but at least you'll have somewhere to go when the problems occur. If you don't pay attention to what it says and you you know are dishonest in business, proud, and lack integrity, you're going to pay the price. It's just that simple. And so to follow the Lord, we have the instruction manual. We have the guidebook there. Isn't it wonderful? God has given us something like this, particularly today, to go through this crazy world in which we live when it seems up is down, right is wrong, and everything that we thought we knew to be true in the past is something now that's being, you know, disbelieved, something that's made fun of, and something that's ridiculed by the people of this world. It's not surprising. Jesus said, think it not strange, they hate you, they hated me first, they hate what we stand for, they hate the Christian faith. It's understandable, and that's the world we live in. So how do we function and navigate through this world? Very simple. We follow the instruction manual, we follow the book. So my challenge to you today is take some time now in your life and start reading Proverbs Look at them and then just start thinking about them. You can actually you just read one and start contemplating it. It's amazing what it will teach you on how to navigate and operate in this world. And I guarantee you, if you do, life will be so much simpler and there will be so much more content in your heart and in your life. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for your wonderful book of Proverbs. Thank you for the proverbial wisdom that we know is not only there for 3,000 years ago, but it's just as real for us today of how to function in business, how to function with people, how to be a person of integrity, a person of humility, a person of honesty. Help us to be those people as a testimony to you. Lord, we know the world doesn't like these virtues. In fact, they consider them vices. They consider them something of a bygone era. Lord, to honor you, help us practice these things in our lives and be known as people who practice things consistent with what the Bible teaches about how we should act. Thank you for these truths, and thank you for giving us a guidebook, and help us and give us the grace through your Holy Spirit to live this way in a way that will testify to the person of Jesus Christ. We thank you and praise you in his precious name. Amen. All right. God bless you, folks.